0: Bismillah walhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. The Jum'a khutbah is an essential reminder that calls the believers every Friday to increase in taqwa, God-consciousness. This series shares Jum'a khutbahs that take place at the Al-Maqasid seminary. Inna alhamdulillah, <laughs> nahmaduhu wa nasta'eenuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa nasta'hdiq. ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا، من يهدي الله فلا مضل له، ومن يضلله فلا هادي له. ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له. ونشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وقرة أعيننا محمدًا عبده ورسوله. Allahumma salli wa sallim alihi sadaatin turdiika wa turdihi wa tanthawi biha a'maduna wa niyatuna wa harakatuna wa sakinatuna fihi. Allah Allahumma habbina ilayhi al-imam wa karribna ilayhi zulfa yarhamar rahimeen. Faya'ibad Allah, inni usiikum wa nafsiya bitaqwa Allah, fataqwa Allahi milaakul hasanati kulliha. Wa qadaqala Allahu ta'ada fi kitabihi aziz اللَّهُ الْمُتَّقِينَ Alhamdulillah, in the blessed house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which our beloved messenger sallallahu told us is the most beloved of places to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world. The places in which heads are bowed to his greatness subhanahu wa ta'ala and hands are stretched out out of humility and desperateness begging of his mercy and of his treasures subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what a blessing it is to be servants to the one who doesn't have any needs. And what a blessing it is to have an access to ask the one who has all the treasures, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he commanded us to ask of him. He says, Call upon me and I will respond to you. and I will answer your prayers and I will give you. And this is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gave us a door to connect to him directly subhanahu wa ta'ala, without any intermediary, that we can go directly to him with our problems. We can go directly to him with our gratitude. We can go directly to him seeking forgiveness of our deficiencies and showing gratefulness for these blessings. And these are types of things which are, as well as mentioned in the hadith, but mentioned in the Quran, that we have to reflect on daily, constant reflection, to be people of introspection, to be people of observance of the world around us. Because all of these are signs of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, messages from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala he says, "In the al-samawati wal-ardi wa al nahari la al Indeed, in the creation, the creating of the heavens and the earth, and the differing of the nights and the days, are signs for the people of reflection, the people of reflection, or of intellect. You can translate it as well. Allah ta'ala says, in another place, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُوسِهِمْ حَتَّى لَهُمْ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ We shall show them signs in the, in the horizons, meaning in the creation, and in their own selves, until it becomes clear to them. أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ And for the Arabic, the Arabic students, this can be translated one of two ways. أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ Indeed, that it is true, it is the truth, or, indeed, that He is the truth, subhanahu wa ta'ala. right? That there are signs all around us. And this is what the poet meant when he said, uh, that indeed, in everything, there are signs that indicate His oneness and His greatness, subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, there are signs outwardly, but there are also signs in our own selves, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and even in their own selves. Do they not look? Do they not look? And the, the, the basira, the sight of the, of the heart, is the sight that we look at things deeper. We don't just look at the surface of things. We look deep behind those things. What do they mean? Not just what they are and how they look, but what do they mean? What is the message of Allah in them? And, uh, and one of the great poets, he mentioned, in the مَعَانٍ قَائِمَةٌ بِالصُوَّرِ كُلُّ مَنْ يُدْرِكُ هَذَا كَانَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْعِبَرِ Indeed, the, uh, the world, the entire cone, the entire creation, is mere meanings placed in forms. And whoever can in t- understand and deeply perceive and comprehend and reflect on those deeper meanings, then they are the people of reflection. They are the people who really get the point. That we have a lot of things going on around us, but we need to le- look deeper. And alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the ability and the the tools to be able to do that. And especially in a time that we live where everyone is calling us to something outward. Everyone is calling, everything around us is calling us to an outward appearance of something, an outward uh, understanding of our world around us, the sensory uh, inundation from the billboards and from the TV screen and from the computer and from the phone, all of these advertisements, all of it is outward. All of it is just, uh, Things to look at, but not things of meaning, things of deep meaning. There are meanings behind it, but we have to reflect. And this is why Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala he says in the Quran, "That they, meaning the people who don't have this ac- access to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's book, those who don't have to the access to the final messenger, وسلم, the people who are without a connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala." They know something of the outward of the worldly life. They know something of the outward of this worldly life. But as for the next life, the hereafter, they are raafilun, and raafilun can be heedless, but they can also mean ignorance, not having knowledge of something. And we see this in the Quran used in in kuntum in qablihi al Even if before this you were of the ghafileen Hasha who sallallahu the Prophet sallallahu was never heedless. Allah is saying that you didn't know, you didn't have knowledge before this of Surah to Yusuf, of the story of Yusuf, right? So many of what we are inundated with are things of sensory that are given to us by people who don't know about the hereafter, right? And if someone doesn't know about the hereafter and doesn't understand the importance of the life after death, right? Then all of what their, their pursuits in life, all of the, the goals, all of the aspirations will be worldly, they will stop at the grave. And if we think about our own lives and we reflect on our own lives, how much of my goals and my objectives and my aspirations will take me up to the grave but stop? Soon as I die and I enter my grave, they will, la- they will be left behind. Right? Whatever my pursuits and my, uh, my aspirations in life, will they accompany me in my grave and, and, and be with me after I die? Right? So this is the difference between the dunya and the akhirah. Right, we, have, we live in this dunya, but our lives are for the next life. As the great scholar, he mentioned that there is no life after which there is death. There's not a true life when you know you're going to die. How can you really enjoy life if you know you're go- going to die? Uh, and there is no true death after which there is eternal life. So when we die, right, this is the time when we can meet our Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is the beginning of the true life. So amongst the things that we need to reflect on and that we really need to open our eyes is to uh, to reflect on our own states of our hearts, the states of our own hearts. And uh, just as Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, and we just read it, وَفِي أَنفُوسِهِمْ أَفَلَى يُبُصِرُونَ And even in their own selves, right? do they not see, do they not look at the signs. Right. So in a time when we're con- constantly being... Uh, Directed toward outward the outward perception of our own appearance that people they spend Multiple hours of their week in front of a mirror Getting pretty and getting nice and getting putting on the makeup and putting on and getting their hair nice and everything This is all outward and we're taking care of ourselves because we care how people perceive us We care how people perceive us and that's a good thing. There's a there's a dignity that the Muslim should have both men and women, there's a dignity. The Prophet ﷺ, he was he was never a dishevelled person. He was very kept. He had the brightest white teeth of all of the uh, all of the people of his time. He smelled good, his hair was always nice. A person came to him, sallallahu alayhi wa with hair that was dishevelled, and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi said, Does this person not have anything that he can uh, tame his hair with? Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he was encouraging ke- cleanliness. So the outward appearance does have imp- importance, and we're not at all saying that it doesn't. Right? However, the outward is what the humans see; it's what the creation sees; it's what our fellow human beings see. Right? What does Allah subhanahu wa taala care about? The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he said, "Inna Allaha <laughs> la yanzuru ila suuri kum wa la ila ajsadikum, walaqin yanzuru ila kulubikum wa a'malikum." Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not look towards your forms. He does not look at your forms, nor does he look at your uh, physical appearance. Rather, he looks at your hearts, and he looks at your deeds. And in another narration, he looks at your hearts, and he looks at your intentions. So, the amount of time that we're concerned with that which the, cu- the humans see, compared to the amount of time that we're concerned with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees, or looks at, or is concerned with, we have to reflect How much am I giving concern and preference for that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can only see and what the creation is hidden from? So we need to be introspective and most importantly we need to be introspective of the states of our own hearts. And we know that the sign of a dead heart, one of the most dangerous signs of the dead heart is the one who always sees the faults of other people but they don't see their own faults. This is a sign that this person uh, is giving preference to the outward right, over their own inward state and giving preference to what other people should do instead of what they should do. Whereas the Prophet ﷺ flipped that paradigm for us, that the most important thing is to worry about ourselves. As Allah says in the Quran, and fusa'kum, Save yourselves, ahlikum nara, and your families from the, from the punishment. Right, so, uh, this is why the Prophet ﷺ, he said, إِذَا أَحَبَّ اللَّهُ عَبْدًا بَصَّرَهُ If Allah loves a servant of his, he will make them see their own faults. He will make them see their own faults. And it is a blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us if we come to discover that we have a, uh, some sort of fault or some sort of spiritual sickness. Because by knowing what we have, we can then take the next steps to try to cure it. And... By being introspective, we automatically become more humble and less arrogant. And this is the more important of the, uh, of the outward and the inward kind of breakdown is the inward acts of worship of the heart. Right? Just like the limbs have worship and the limbs have sins, right? the heart also has acts of worship and the heart also has sins. And the, the, the actions of the heart are much more important in the sight of Allah. And much more weighty on the days, on the scales on the day of judgment than the actions of the limbs. So, Imam uh, Sheikh Abu Bakr bin Salam, one of the great scholars of Halramot, uh, he mentioned that the, the humble uh, worshipper, the humble person who is a sinner, right, a person who's a sinner, he's, uh, he or she is caught up in some things that they shouldn't be doing. They're, they have some sins or some bad habits that are sinful that they just, they're, they're just caught up in. And that's, the, that's what it is. But they're humble. And they're broken. And they, re- they know that it's wrong. And they know that their state is not a good state. And they're remorseful for what they're doing. And they spend their nights asking Allah for forgiveness. And making tawbah to Allah, repenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That this person is better than a thousand of those people who pray to Hajjud all night long. Read Quran all day long, and then they walk in the Masjid and say, "Hmm, I'm better than all of these people." The one who is doing major sins, but their heart is humbled and broken before Allah, and remorseful for their for their sins, is better than the one who does great outward good deeds, lots of worships, but inwardly they are arrogant. They have arrogance against their fellow Muslim. They they think they're better than other people. Why? Because even though that other, the first person has sins, they're outward sins. And as far as their heart, their heart is in, cl- in worship of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. with this state of brokenness is an act of worship. It's a means of drawing near to Allah. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, and min ajli. You will find me with those whose hearts are broken for my sake. They are remorseful for their sins. They are, which is the requisite of repentance. They are closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the one who has good deeds with their limbs, outward good deeds, but their heart is diseased with arrogance. And the Prophet ﷺ, said that no one who has a mustard seed of arrogance will enter paradise right away. Meaning they may enter eventually, but they will not be in there with the first of those to go in. Because arrogance is directly against our purpose in life to be servants of Allah, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if that's the distinguishment between those two, right, Shaykh Abu Bakr bin Salam, he continues, he says, then how much worse is the one who is doing sins outwardly and they're still arrogant inwardly? Right, they're doing sins outwardly and they're still arrogant inwardly. The first guy was praying tahajjud. Right? He was praying, he read in Quran, but he was arrogant. Right? Imagine a person who is doing major sins outwardly Caught up in a lot of things that they shouldn't be caught up in and they still think they're better than everyone else They're the they are the worst of the worst Right, but how much better how much greater is the one who? Spends their nights in worship of Allah. They control themselves from ever disobeying Allah They are only in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and still they're crying in the nights for Allah to forgive them They're still broken before Allah. They are still humbled before Allah. They're the best of the best and that is how our Prophet ﷺ was. He spent his entire nights in worship of Allah, right? And as we know the descriptions, mat qadamahu, Until his feet, his heels became swollen from, from standing so long in prayer. And Sayyidina Aisha, she said to him, that why do, you, why do you toil yourself so hard? Why do you work so hard when you don't have any sins? And usually someone who has sins, they would do so much worship to make up for them. But you don't have any sins. Why are you putting yourself through such difficulty in doing all this extra worship? And what was the Prophet ﷺ's response? <laughs> Should I not be a servant who is ever grateful? An ever grateful servant. Right? Complete obedience and worship to Allah with a heart that is completely humble. A heart that is filled with gratitude. This is the best of the best, sallam. So we really need, as long, uh, obviously, we need to obey Allah subhanahu wa taala outwardly, but we really need to be introspective and reflective of am I obeying Allah subhanahu wa taala inwardly as well, or am I disobeying Allah subhanahu wa taala inwardly? Things like arrogance, jealousy, hatred, anger, ostentation, showing off, meaning self-conceit, right? love of worldly material things love of praise, love of status, all of these things are destructive qualities that will damage the heart. They will damage the soul. They will damage our happiness in this life, our tranquility in this life. And most importantly and most dangerously, they will damage our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the the sins of the hearts that we have to learn about and we have to start to remove. And we need to, and the only way to learn about them is to first and foremost to be reflective. When I walked into the masjid today, and I saw so-and-so, and I saw so-and-so, someone that I knew, someone I didn't know, right, where was my heart? Did I think, oh, who's that guy? I don't like that guy. Right, Who is this person? Oh, I'm better than that person. Because of some outward checklist that we have in our minds, that we've been kind of taught to believe of what piety really looks like. <laughs> right, so we need to check, right, Am I, do I feel like I'm better than any one of the Muslims? Do I feel like so and so doesn't deserve that blessing from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? Do I feel like so and so is uh, showing off? Right? Having bad opinions of people is also one of them, right? Or am I walking in the masjid thinking that all of these people are better than me? Which is the way that the, the sahaba were, which is the way that the Prophet was. And when the Prophet one time a Bedouin walked into the masjid. And the band, he was a man who was filled with, with awe of the Prophet. He started to shake. And the Prophet said, Take it easy, take it easy. In the ibnu imraatin min I am just the son of a woman from Quraysh who used to eat dried meats. This is the messenger of Allah, the greatest of Allah's creation, with true humility in fun of the people. Right, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We have made some of you as a trial for others, right? Will you not then be patient? Meaning, will you not then hold on to taqwa in your dealings with each other's? And not just how you deal with each other outwardly, but also your inward perceptions of each other's, good opinions of the other, always wanting what's best for the other person. These are worships of the hearts that we need to have. So in order to examine our own faults and to find out what we need to work on, because we all need to work on a lot of things, Right. I'm the first and foremost who has a long list of things to work on. Right? And, but this is the journey that we are on, the journey of inward refinements to make our hearts beautiful so that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gazes upon our hearts, he loves it. And when Allah gazes upon our hearts, he finds it similar to the heart of the Messenger of Allah. In order, The first step is we have to be reflective. We have to be introspective of our own states. Secondly, Imam Al-Ghazali, alayhi rahmatullahi ta'ala, he gives us four ways to examine our own faults. Four ways to examine our own faults. So first thing, we have all on, have res, re, re, resolute intentions that we're, we're going to close our eyes to the faults of others. Our first and foremost priority is our own faults. The first of the four things is to seek out a teacher slash mentor who is aware of the illnesses of the heart and their signs. He, they know what arrogance is and how it manifests. Kind of like the doctor, right? Certain sicknesses present in certain ways with certain symptoms and certain signs. Same thing for the sicknesses of the heart. And these are peop- there are people who are well aware of these things. They know what arrogance is. They know how to treat it. They know what are the signs. They know what jealousy is. To have someone like that to show us how to work on our hearts, that is the best. And there's no replacement to that. And we see in the Quran that Allah says that whoever Allah guides, then you will, whoever Allah allows to go astray, you will never find for them a guide. Right? And whoever Allah, uh, sorry, whoever Allah allows to go astray, you will never find for them a person who will guide them. Which means that if Allah wants to guide someone, He will give them that He will give them someone to guide them down the path. And this is how the Sahaba were to the Prophet He was their guide, He showed them what they need to work out on, on their hearts. That is the best and the most ideal. And if Imam al Haddad says, But if you can't find someone like that, then just be truthful. Be really sincere in wanting to work on yourself. And it is the best of provisions for that journey. The second, he says, is to listen closely when your enemies speak of you. To listen closely when your enemies speak of you. Because, Sometimes the one who is the enemy, or maybe even they are a liar, but sometimes they may tell the truth. They may hit the bullseye. They may be saying they may have a bias against you, but it doesn't mean that everything they say is wrong. Right? And this is obvious for the for the enemy, but there are other people in our lives that are not enemies to us, but they do put us in our place. Right? It may be the the spouse, it may be the children, it may be the friend, it may be the the person in the masjid that you hang out with, and they may say, you know what, you're, you're, you're kind of arrogant at some times. Right? Or, you know what, you seem, to be, you seem to have an anger issue. They may put you in your place, listen to them. It, it may be that Allah is telling you through them what your faults are. If Allah loves someone, he will make them see their faults. The third is to have a sincere friend right, who is not afraid to tell your faults, but it's actual agreement between you two. That I tell my friend, if you see anything from me that is, this, that, that is wrong, that is a blameworthy trait, tell me. And if I see anything from you, I will tell you. And this is true friendship. Imam he mentioned that, uh, Whoever gives you sincere advice and tells you how it is, they love you. They are your real friend. Keep them. Right? And whoever just flatters you. They tell you you're right, no matter what you're doing, right? Cheering you on. I remember as ch- as kids, right? We would do things that are th- things that you shouldn't even do. You might even get in serious trouble for doing. And then what are the friends doing? They're standing on the side so they don't get in trouble, but they're cheering you on. Go ahead, do it, do it, do it. Instigating, telling you to go. That's not true friendship. That's betrayal. That's betrayal of the trust of friendship. So a sincere friend, right? Who will tell you what you have to work on, and listen to them. And then the third, uh, sorry, the fourth, right, is to use the faults of others qiyasen, as a proof that you have those faults as well. Right? And this is the, this last one we want to talk about in a little bit more detail in the second khutbah. اللَّهَ لِي وَلَكُمْ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فَاسْتَغْفِرُوهُ إِنَّهُ هُوَ الرَّحِيمُ Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Hinahmadu, who was a starino, and a staffero, and I would be lahim in Shuri and Fusina and Sayati Amanina. Allah, whom Habbabina Idina Iman, Wakarrah, Habbabina Idina, and Mamuzain of Kudubina, Wakarrahidin, and Kufra with a Fusok with ICN. I shadow Allah, Yidallah, Wachhula Shrika, Washhado, and Nasayedina Habibana Mohammed and Salah Islam Abduhur Rasulu, and my badu for Yabad Allah, and you seek him when Afsiri Takwa Law. This fourth method from Imam al-Ghazali alayhi rahmatullahi ta'ala is really important and probably the most practical one that we can start right away. That we can start right away. It is to look at uh, to when we see other people, when we see other uh, individuals and we may see something of their faults. It may come to us, not that we're looking for them. The prophet said that the hypocrite is the one who seeks out people's faults. They try to find what people's faults. And then they expose them. Whereas the true believer is the one who hides other people's faults and gives them advice privately. Right? But if we do see some faults of other people, we automatically apply that to ourselves. Because the Prophet said, Al-Mutminu miratul mu'min, the believer is the mirror of the other believer. And when you look in the mirror, you only see yourself. You see your own faults. So what does this mean? Is that when we are interacting with each other, if someone bothers me, or someone inconveniences me, or their personality just annoys me, or something about them. They said something, and something in my heart came of, of anger, or of jealousy, or it wants to have revenge. All of that are signs of what is wrong with our hearts. All of that is signs of what we need to work on. The person who is all alone and doesn't mix with people, they will never know what's in their heart of arrogance. Because there's no one to compare themselves to. They will never know if they have anger because there's no one m- making them angry. They will never know if they have jealousy because there's no one, again, to compare themselves to. We need other people to, to tell what we have in ourselves. And this is why uh, Imam Jalaluddin rumi uh, he says that if you are bothered by every rub, how will you ever become polished? Meaning that if you're interacting with people and someone uh, annoys you, the fact that you are annoyed means that there's something left of the nafs, of the ego, of the lower self. There's something that's still blemished in your heart. If someone's response to your question uh, insults you and you feel, uh, you feel angry, there's something left to work on. Right? If your, your child responds in a way and it makes you upset, not for, for reasons that are, um, that are established by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? uh, then there's something left. If the spouse... It right, says something and uh, there's some. just bothers your heart, there's some work to be done. This is when we need to roll up our sleeves and we need to get to work. Right, first step is to diagnose and these people are helping us. They are our believers right? and this is why the religion, right, marriage is half of deen because half of the deen you can do by yourself but purifying the heart you can't. You can't do it, you can't always know what's in your heart unless there's someone else to reflect back to you what those faults are. And so the point is that when a person's heart is completely purified, nothing can bother them. Nothing can bother them whatsoever. Their hearts are polished. There is no more rubbing. Even, uh, that does not mean that everything is peachy keen and right, sunny skies and apple pies. It doesn't mean that. It means that despite what's going on around them, they are complete t- tranquility. And this is what uh, is indicated in the verse of Surah Ar-Rahman مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ And for the one who fears the standing before his Lord is two paradises, two gardens, two jannah. We know one jannah is in the hereafter. We have to die in order to get there. Right? But the other jannah, as uh, uh, Imam Ahmed al mashhur al-Haddad alayhi rahmatullahi ta'ala, he said, uh, he said that that jannah is the jannah of this world, the jannah of the heart. The Jannah of those people whose hearts are completely purified. Nothing can bother them. Nothing can take that away from them. You can throw them in, uh, in, in the depths of the ocean or in the middle of a fire like Ibrahim Salaam, and they are in paradise. You can never take it away because it's the paradise of the heart. And one of the scholars, he mentioned that you'll never enter that paradise until first achieving this paradise. And this is the paradise of the hearts that Imam al-Haddad meant when he said that if the princes of the world were to know how what we experience, they would have come to us to take it away from us with their swords. They would have fought us with their swords. These are people who have all the outward blessings, all of the money, all of the power, and none of the responsibility, but they would want what we have, right, of the paradise of the hearts. So some examples of this were nothing, even the most difficult situations where we would really have to hold ourselves back, right, the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we just want to see how they would react. Right? The first and foremost, greatest of examples, is the Messenger of Allah. Right? There was once a Jewish man who kind of put himself in an opportunistic way right, in the presence of the Prophet to, to, uh, to be part of a, a loan that the Prophet took from him. So the Prophet was discussing something, a business deal with someone, in order to help out another person. So he needed money. So this person jumped in opportunity. So he says, I will loan you the money Muhammad, right? This is a Jewish man. uh, And right and you give me something as collateral. So they so they did it. He gave him collateral and then appointed time was made for the debt to be repaid. And a few days before the debt was due, the Jewish man, he walked up to the Prophet in the midst of a bunch of his companions and it says, you, you people of the Hashem tribe are always late in your payments. Give me my money. How dare you? Right, Yelling in front of everyone. How would we feel? Just, this is part of the reflection. How would we feel on that day? Someone in front of all of our friends and all of our companions who respect us is yelling at us that we're late in our payments and that we're this and we're that. Right? The prophet was calm. Right. So, but Umar ibn al Khattab, out of his love for the Prophet, was not. He, they, they described that his face became red and his eyes were taduru. His eyes were moving around out of anger. And he was about to, he asked permission for the, to the Prophet to kill the man right, because of his love for the Prophet. And the Prophet told Umar, he said, Ya Umar, right, me and this man are in more need of other than this kind of behavior from you. Right. Oh, Umar, tell you should have commanded me to pay my debts in a beautiful way before the, before the time came up. Right? And you should have commanded him to ask for his rights in a beautiful way. Now, go take this man right, to the treasury, give him the money that he's owed, and give him an extra 20 dirhams because you scared him. complete forbearance, calmness, not a single moment of agitation. Right? So as the man and Omar are walking for him to get the payments, right, the, the man asked Omar, do you know who I am? And He said, no. He said, I'm so-and-so, son of so-and-so from this tribe. And Omar said, you mean the rabbi? You're a rabbi? And he said, yes, I am the rabbi. Right? He said, why did you do what you did? He said, I've, I read the description of the Prophet, the final prophet to come in the Torah, and I had found everything to be true about this man, Muhammad, except for two, for one quality. And the one quality is that if the more ignorantly you act toward him, the more forbearant he becomes. Right? And there was only one way for me to test it, so I found the opportunity and I took it. And, I, right? and then after he took the money, he, he went back to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, I bear witness that there is no God except Allah and that you, are the messenger of Allah This is a heart that is tranquil, a heart that is pure. It is never bothered by outward things like this. So that's the Prophet It's possible that we say, oh, that's the Prophet. How can, right? right, where is the North Star from the earth? We'll never reach that. Even the great, the great scholars of this time are examples of that. But we want to give another example. Right, who is from the great-grandson of the Prophet ﷺ, Imam Ali Zain al-Abidin. He's the son of Hussein, who is the son of Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ. Right, So Imam Ali Zain al-Abidin, he was well known in his area, right, but he was not the leader of the city. He didn't have any political leadership. He preferred not to have that, and he preferred to worship. He didn't want any political, even though people tried to get him to be the leader. Right. He was known as a sajjad because he would pray thousands of rakats a day, thousands of units of prayer every day. Right. So he preferred worship, and that's why he's known the adorn, adornment of the worshipers. Right. But the king of his time knew that at any moment, if he wanted to be the king, they would have taken him out. Right. He would have been the king. So he didn't like, the, he didn't like the Imam Ali. He had something against him. Uh, there's a, the, the nafs, the ego, the love for status, any competition to that status causes agitation in the heart. So the king, he paid one of the greatest poets of the time right, some money to go and pretty much let Imam Ali have it with his tongue. Right? And this is like what we would call today like battle rapping, right, battle rap. So this is the poet, right, one of the greatest poets, the lyricist right, of his time eloquent poetry to go to Imam Zayn, uh, Imam Zayn al-Abidin right, and just insult him in the best way he can with the most eloquent Arabic. And he paid the man. Right, what kind of right, uh, evilness that you need to do that? So the man, he, he doesn't know who Imam Ali is. He just knows what he looks like and where he is. So he goes and he says, Are you Ali? Right, Ali, Zayn al-Abidin? And he says, yes. And he just goes, let's have it. Whole, he gives him a mouthful, all of the worst insults that you could call someone in the Arabic language with beautiful eloquence. On top of that, just added salt to the wound. Right? So, and then the man takes a breath. And then he goes again. He had to gain his energy because he was insulting him so much. And then at the end, he stopped. And Imam Ali says, hey, are you done? And then the man said, okay, your turn. Because he's expecting the norm. The norm is, you do that to somebody, you're going to get it back. Right? So he was ready for the payback. So Imam Ali says, right, those are some of the faults that Allah showed you. The ones that Allah concealed from you are much more. And, and is there anything that I can do for you? Any need that you have that I can take care of? Right, he went to his companions and he says, does anyone have any wealth with them? He took a thousand dinars or dirhams and he gave him a purse of money and said, here, this is for you. Right. So the man is just completely dumbfounded right, and, and he, he, he walks away with the money. And then he finds out, who is this person? I need to know who this person is. Right? And he finds out this is the great-grandson of the Prophet He's like, Inna right? I had to do that to the people of Allah, to the family of the Prophet He ran back to Imam Ali to ask for forgiveness and to try to give the money back. Imam Ali said, I already forgive you. Right? And as for the money, we are the, pe- we are the family of the Prophet Once we give something, we don't take it back. This is the people of Allah. Not a single moment of agitation. Complete tranquility. Right? His heart was completely still. Same person. Right? And another story. Right? Imam Ali is praying in the masjid. And there's a Bedouin man sleeping in the masjid. The man wakes up. Right? Seems, seems to have lost his, his purse of money. And he sees that the only person in the masjid who could have taken it is Imam Ali. So he goes to him while he's in the middle of the prayer. And starts yelling at him and yelling at him. You're, imagine you're in the middle of the salah. Right, in the masjid and someone's yelling at you from this right in your ear, right? what would you do? Right? So Imam Ali quickly finished the prayer. He didn't even break the prayer. He quickly finished the prayer, right? And then he said to the man, shh, shh, hide my faults, hide my faults, hide my faults. Right? What did you lose? Wh- how much was it? The man said, I, it was 10,000 dirhams, right? It was a, it was a purse of 10,000. He said, like, okay, okay, be quiet, be quiet, hide my <coughs> faults, come with me. And he took him to his own house. He went inside. He gave him a purse of 10,000 dinar. He said, please forgive me. I have a lot of faults. Please hide my faults from the people. And the man went away. The man goes back to his house and right there on the floor is his purse. He never brought it to the masjid in the first place. So now he's dumbfounded again because this type of character is it, it breaks the norm. It's not customary. It's like a miracle. And this is the people of Allah are like that. that they're just their character is transformative to your state So he sees that that was that was not his money Right, so this man just gave me 10,000 dirhams for no reason Right. He could have defended his case. He could have argued back. He could have said this he gave me 10,000 So he ran back to the man. He tried to give it back and he said eh, we're the family of the Prophet We don't once we give something we don't give it. We don't take it back right, so these are signs Right. To the extent that we are bothered by any circumstance in life, whether it be at the hands of a person or just mere circumstance, to that extent, our ego remains. To that extent, our lower self needs purification and refinement, and we are one step closer to achieving that refinement because now we know that there is a problem. right? So this is insha'Allah, we hope to be more res- more reflective people and have to turn our eyesight from, out, from the outward of the world to the inward of our souls and to, be, to, pure, to give preference to beautifying that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees and, to, and, and, and instead of prioritizing that which only the creation can see, just to close. There are some general things that are beneficial for the heart, general remedies like antibiotics for the soul. Things that are general, that have a a a purifying uh, ability for the heart. One of them is increasing in knowledge. And especially the knowledge of the sciences of the heart. Just like we know how to pray the salah. Just like we know how to give the zakat. The knowledge of how to purify the heart is preserved from the Prophet to the companions. And then to the tabi'in. And then to the tabi'in. All the way down to our time now. There are signs, that what arrogance is, what are the signs, how to cure it, what jealousy is, how are th- what are the signs, how to cure it. All of them are there. And right, they are mentioned in the books of Imam al-Ghazali, in the books of Imam al and in many other books, right, to, to increase our knowledge of ihsan, of the science of the heart, so that we can ha- go into this journey that we are dedicated to with true knowledge. The second is general gatherings of remembrance. Gatherings of remembrance will purify your heart. Right, it will slowly start to chip away at the rust of the heart. Right? And the third, right, which is, and this is not a, a, a comprehensive list, this is just some advices, the third is to constantly keep our tongues in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a very beautiful hadith, right, and it's just very difficult to translate, and maybe we might ask for some help afterwards right, and how to translate this. Right? With the Prophet right, said, right, Those who have singled out Right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for their focus have gone foremost, have gone ahead of everyone else. Right. <laughs> that their their remembrance of Allah has cast aside all of their burdens. All of their worries and burdens have been cast aside. Why? Because of their abundant remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> Allah oh Allah we ask you with complete humility and brokenness before you, asking you forgiveness through giving preference to that which the creation sees and ignoring and neglecting that which only you can see. Purify our hearts and accept us into your mercy, Ya Arhamur In Inna Allah <laughs> wa malaikatuhu yusalluna ala al-Nabi, ya wa ladhina amanu sallu alihi wa sallimu taslima. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barak ala Muhammadin habibika al-Mahbubi wa mahibbihi. Kama yurzika wa yurzihi habibina ilayhi wa zidina mahabbatan fihi Inna Allah ya'muru bil adli wal wa ita'i din Thank you for listening to one of Al Maqasid's online educational offerings. Our mission at Al Maqasid is to cultivate holistic learning environments rooted in knowledge, devotion, and service. By providing full time, part time, online, and community programs. For more information, please visit our website at and connect with our other online content at almaghazi.org/backslash/connect.